Hello, everybody, and welcome to New Books in Folklore, which is one of the wide range of podcast channels available via the New Books Network. I'm Rachel Hopkin, and I'm one of the hosts of the channel. And today, our guest is Marsha McDowell, and she's going to be talking about Quilts and Health, a new book which is the result of a collaboration between Marsha and two of her colleagues. Marsha McDowell is Professor of Art, Art History and Design at Michigan State University and Curator of Folk Arts at the University's Museum. Her colleagues on this project are also based at Michigan State University. Claire Luce is Assistant Professor in the College of Osteopathic Medicine, and she's also Marsha's sister. And Beth Donaldson is one of the key members of the Quilt Index project team. And we'll be hearing more about the Quilt Index a little bit later. But first of all, Marsha McDowell, welcome to New Books in Folklore. Well, thank you, Rachel. Um, Marsha, I wonder if you could just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, including maybe your how you came to a folklore story. <laughs> sure. I... Um, you know, everybody has their different pathway. I think mine um, is just typical, atypical, who knows. But I was, uh, at an early age, fascinated with the um, artwork, the handicraft that my family did, the female members, especially in my family, although I had um, grandfathers who also were quite handy in making material culture. Facts. My grandfather on one side made chairs and furniture pieces, and my other grandfather actually made wooden boats. But my grandmother, and who taught me how to sew dolly clothes, um, and her mother, and my grandfather's maternal mother, my grandfather's mother, um, were both quilters. And when I was born. I was gifted with uh, quilts made by my two great-grandmothers. And so I came into this world with a collection of quilts and an appreciation for the beautiful artistry of these textiles that were made by people who loved me. Oh, what a nice story. Yes. So, you know, several years later, after I had grown up sleeping under quilts, um, being given additional quilts when I had special family occasions or I passed a significant birthday. Um, I was in graduate school studying there to be a uh, art, um, studio art, uh, uh, pers- a studio artist, and also teach art. Um, and one of my required courses in my master's program was to do um, a, a course on American art. And the person who was the instructor of that course wanted special proposals for extended projects. And so I came in, trotted into his office and said that I um, would really like to do a, an extended paper on the quilters in my family and do an analysis of their design and why they quilted and what meaning it had for them and where they got feedback uh, on the set of qualities. And, and he said, you need to choose another topic. That is not a very good topic for an art history course. I was oh, furious. Wow. I was furious. And I said, okay, um, 
I'm going to drop the class. And that just lit the fire under me. So um, many, many, many years later, I am still doing investigations of quilts, um, their meaning, why people do them, why so many people do them. And I, I still see so many avenues for interrogation that need to be followed up on. And so, yeah, that's my story. Right. Which leads perfectly into this Mm -hmm. book. But before we get to the book, um, I just want to ask you if you have a kind of like particular definition of folklore, because sometimes people come to this podcast and wonder why we're talking about the subject that we're talking about. Now, that's not so much going to be so much the case with quilting, because I think people will see that as a traditional folkloric Mm -hmm. craft. But I just I was curious to know if you had some kind of um, little definition that you use. Well, I essentially, um, I think that folklore is the sharing of knowledge, beliefs, skills, behavior that's shared from one person to another in contexts and communities for which this particular body of knowledge and beliefs, etc., has deep meaning. And within those communities, um, that sharing of knowledge cultivates a sense of shared identity, it um, connects members to each other, and it helps to sustain and define those communities and even perpetuate them. So that's my, in a nutshell, um, description of folklore. So um, tell us about how quilts and health came about. And if in as part of that uh, introduction, you can also tell us about the quilt index, that would be great. Well, the, 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 I think I've just mentioned that I've been investigating uh, quilt studies uh, for many, many years now. And so, you know, as one does, you, you know, keep running files on different topics. And, and so um, over the years, of course, I knew about some uh, quilts that were related to health and well-being, and they went into those file um folders. But it wasn't until my sister uh, was asked to organize a panel on arts and health for Art Prize in Grand Rapids. And she tapped me, knowing how many years I've been investigating quilts. And she said, certainly, certainly, you must have something you could present on quilts and health for this obligation of mine. Um, I went home that night. I said, okay, let me just see what I have first. And I dipped into some of my files and I called her immediately and said, oh my gosh, I cannot believe how many threads of information I have. It's actually several fat folders. And after all these years, why have I not realized how um, deep and rich a territory this is to investigate? So long story short is that she and I did do a panel uh, presentation in Grand Rapids. And it even the person who was introducing me, who was a doctor who thought he uh, had nothing to do with quilts, was sharing a personal story of him um, getting a quilt and being part of making a quilt for a daughter who had had a, um, a severe heart problem. And he said, I, I, I'm convinced. He says, you've got a wonderful topic here. 
Right, right. So what, what was your next step? Well, the next step is is that we did another presentation at another event, and then we got serious about starting to read as many uh, referee journals that we could in uh, the in art world, art history world, health world. So we were looking for any articles that could show in a um, uh, if possible, you know, a systematic research that had been done to test the presence of quilts as a factor in health and well-being. And we were looking at journals like uh, Journal of Occupational Therapy or a Journal of Nursing or uh, Applied Nursing. or I mean, It was um, looking at some journals that I, as a folklorist, typically was not looking at. And, and we were finding bits and pieces of, of good uh, research that had been done, but only a small handful had really looked at quilts. And so we um, simultaneously uh, tapped our colleague, Beth Donaldson, who works at the MSU Museum, and who is also a quilt a quilter, and she's also a data geek. Um, she she um, tagged some Google searches so that every week we were looking at articles that appeared in newspapers or um, local newscasts that somehow had the word quilt and health and well-being in it. And every week we were sharing with each other these articles. And they started then falling into categories of, of um, traditions and um, behaviors in both personal and communities. So eventually when we had read like 800 or 1,000 of these personal anecdotes and also had done some interviews ourselves, we, we were beginning to see a sense of how um, an investigation of quilts and an analysis of quilts and health and well-being could take place. So the quilt index predated this project. Yes, when it, you were, were putting in data for that, were you putting in any information about uh, maybe? Yes. Well, quilt? good question. We did. Uh, well, the quilt index is a digital repository of images and stories and technical inf- information about quilts. And to date, we have about eighty thousand quilts in, that are in that digital repository. And those are drawn from public and private collections um, now around the world. It, mm-hmm. The quilt index will continue to grow uh, with the data that goes into it. It's mostly a community scholar based uh, contribution of data uh, that goes into it. And then we've got search tools and um, well, a number of tools for user engagement with the, the quilt index. And so one of the categories that we tag data about is function. And, mm-hmm. um, and now we've, we are now tagging things for health and well-being. So you can actually do a search in the quilt index and be able to pull out if the story says something particular about 
health or a specific disease or illness, you can tease out data. Um, yeah, so we we actually, I should have said that we turned to the Quilt Index to, and we did searches for the word cancer, for instance, or we heart okay. attack or grieving. It was a big one. Um, and uh, uh, coping with uh, anxiety, coping with the uh, disease. So we just kept throwing phrases, search phrases in there. And we did come out with a lot of data just from that's, that's already in there. Yeah. So that was, um, uh, oh, and I didn't mention that in the quilt index, we also have uh, uh, quietly, it's, it, it, now I'm saying this on a podcast, but quietly, <laughs> quietly, we have, um, uh, I don't know how many, several thousand of the panels that are in the Names Project quilt, the AIDS Memorial quilt because we work with the Names Foundation to okay. um, digitally unstitch their photographs they had of blocks of, of um, panels that had been sewn together. And so we've digitally unstitched those and put them into the quilt index. They're now under a special category in the index called Quilts and Health. And you can go in and start looking at panels, um, isolated panels that... Um, were made by one person's hand or many people's hands to memorialize somebody or, or memorialize many people who had died of that disease. Right. So you just talked about a moment ago, going through all these articles, you were looking for research. And that's really what you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're focusing on in the first chapter of, of this book, which I have to say is beautifully illustrated. There's photo, these wonderful color photographs on every single page, practically. But, um, but yes, it's also uh, presenting scholarly material, of course. Yes, yes. <laughs> so tell um, me what you found in this, yeah. in this information because you say you don't you didn't find much okay. in quilt specifically but you found stuff that related to it as as well as some stuff yeah and I well I think as we started sifting through and trying to make sense of you know in this huge well first of all we we pretty much realized that um there were quilts made and used that were associated with almost any disease or illness you could name. So that's startling. And, and in Mm -hmm. some cases it wasn't just one quilt. It would be thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands of quilts would be connected to that one disease. So um, how do you make sense of this? Well, then we started organizing our focus to the book um, into a number of categories and that became our table of contents where we have one whole section that deals with the evidence of the impact of quilts and quilt making on health and healthcare outcomes. Mm-hmm. My sister is a gerontologist. She's based in a medical school. She teaches med school students. So she wants to be able to make more, uh, well, to improve patient centered care. And mm-hmm. she said, if a person a caregiver, a medical professional can understand the stories and the art that has incredible personal meaning to a patient. They might then be able to um, understand more 
what kind of care that person should get and understand that person more as an individual rather than a patient. Mm. So, so Claire then, uh, she took on being the lead author of that, that uh, section. And then because of my training as an artist, uh, I took on the next one, which is the art of health-related quilting, because we were starting to see how um, makers of quilts actually visualized their health condition or their illness with, in, in their quilts. Uh, if they were going from, uh, for instance, um, uh, moving to a depression and then out of a depression, you could actually see that in the continuous colors that were going from light to dark worked into their sometimes very traditional patterns, sometimes their very innovative patterns. Um, there would be quilters who uh, spoke about, visually spoke about their health condition by ripping the fabric and repiecing it together with safety pins. And you, you know, all you have to do is look at that and think, that person has gone to a dark place and right. is now coming out of it. There were there were significant shifts in that person's life from happiness to not happiness, from health to not health, and then maybe out of it again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just fascinating to see how people, even down to the cellular level, how they could visualize what was happening with their bodies and with their minds. I'm looking at one on page 42, and it's called C3 Infiltration. It's by Ruth A. White of Ithaca, New York. Oh, yeah. And it's yes. showing these yes. uh, black, gray cans. So, so tell us about this one, for example. Okay, I'm, I'm, got- I'm moving to it right, right okay. now. Um, yeah. And, oh, and this is interesting, too, because the woman um, who uh, – did this uh, is a molecular biologist. And that was another surprising thing is the number of people from the health professions, nurses, uh, scientists, molecular biologists, um, pediatricians were themselves using quilts as a way to express their own identity or their own conditions with, with health and well-being. Yeah, so this one, yeah, she writes, uh, she uses the visual tools of science in her quilts, which depict uh, nebulae, cells, lunar phases, petroglyphs, waves, sudoku, and cancer. When she learned that she had advanced appendix cancer in 20 or 2009, the scientific quote is, the scientific part of my brain kicked in and I became curious. And she turned to quilting to make sense of her illness and creating a series of art quilts that she calls the cancer quilts. So, and yeah. it's a beautiful piece of work as well. I mean, it's yeah. really very striking visually. Oh, uh, yeah, visually, it's just gorgeous. And, yeah. and at first glance, you would not know that that piece is connected to a very heartfelt um, uh, story yeah. related to health and well-being. And I think that's, that's where my... Um, you know, I am in an art history uh, program department, but this is where my folklore kicks in. I can respond to this as a visual item, and I love the colors, the arrangement, uh, the textures in this particular piece. But you can't understand this piece without knowing the story. 
Right, right. I could make and up a lot of things about that piece. Yeah, but <laughs> right. you have to know that, you know, that maker's story. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's there's other pieces that are diaries, but they're written they're written out in quilt form. Or oh, yes. I mean, and again, it's not just one person who did that. Um, scores of people have mm-hmm. done these visual diaries that tracked either their own personal experience with a health condition or tracked their um, their journey being a caregiver to somebody else. Right. That's what, there's also, there's this um, historical quilt. I mean, I'm sure there's many historical quilts. This one particularly caught my eye. It's, um, it's called the Lemoyne star. It's by Rebecca Brickley. And then on the other page, you've got a picture of Jacob and Rebecca Brickley. Um, and the quilt was made in 1866. <gasps> Um, yes. Yes. And, thought, and that, and that one is actually in the collection of the Michigan State University Museum. Okay. And uh, that was brought um, by Rebecca. Uh, what she in New York, she discovered she had cancer. And so she rode in, in a wagon, you know, journeyed here with her husband making that quilt. Um, it was her way of coping on that trip. And it, she knew she was dying. And, you know, that became the, the evidence of her struggle along that way. And it's never been used. Her husband didn't want it to ever be used. Right, so it's right, right. And, it's a, and, and you look at that quilt and there's no way you would th- think that that had anything to do with health and well-being because right. it's just a typical traditional pattern. It's, you know, many quilts are made in that pattern. So it, you know, it's like a ho-hum kind of quilt. Well, it's a beautiful quilt, but it's it's a ho-hum pattern. Right, where, right. As opposed to the one that I just was talking about uh, that, um, you know, is a, a created um, original creation. Um, and, and I noticed that one other thing you point out is, is quite often people are using um, material from clothes that belong to somebody they've lost in order to express Yes. It. Oh, yes. Um, and that again, is certainly that has, you know, decades of, of history associated with that tradition of in quilt making that people use bits of fabrics um, of recycled clothes uh, that were worked into a bed cover that people slept mm-hmm. under. And they knew whose clothes they were. And you right. would think about those people. I, I, I'd love to share a little story here. When it, Claire's research assistant, um, uh, Katie Hansen, she and her husband had a special needs daughter who lived with them until she died and uh, at age 25. And one of her caregivers um, made a quilt for Katie and her husband, Eric. And and here's what uh, this says uh, Katie wrote about it. it. It includes Laurel's favorite shirts, pajamas, jeans, and more. Each piece of clothing has a different history and holds powerful memories for us, representing a cherished moment, um, events, or feelings. We bring the quilt to our grief therapy sessions and lay it over our laps. The textures, colors, and memories bring Laurel's spirit close to us in a way that's difficult to explain. We sleep under the quilt, too. The sensation of Laurel's presence comforting us through the night. So poignant. 
And, you know, Katie helped us do the, the, the bibliography and did, you know, the foot organized all of the footnotes for this. So she was working with us for months on this book. And you know, we were almost ready to send the final copy off to the press. And she said, you know, maybe, maybe I'm thinking, I wonder if I should share my story with you. And, and we, you know, Beth and Claire and I all said, oh my God, that has to be in this book. You have had a hand in this book, but that story is just so um, illustrative of the deep meanings that this has for individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems so bittersweet as well, that constant memory. I mean, I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's, 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 it's difficult to even fathom what that feels like. Yes. Well, and you know, now there are, you could Google memory quilts or mm-hmm. um, uh, memorial quilts, and you will easily find lots of businesses, especially in the Etsy world of mm-hmm. individuals who are offering their services to people. And they say, keep, you know, if you want to bring me the, clothes from your deceased loved person I'll work with you to make it into a quilt so right yeah so actually that that brings us very neatly onto the next chapter which is about individual individual experiences of health and well-being through quilt making um Mm -hmm. it's the whole chapter on people's personal experiences manifest in relation to quilt making tell us a little bit about uh some of the stories in this one maybe yeah i think um well i can talk about one of the quilts in there that um is i think uh claire loves this one it's called neverland it's also owned by the michigan state university museum it was made by a woman named linda hoff um as a tribute to her grandmother and so this is a granddaughter making a quilt about her grandmother's condition. Um, The quilt shows the impact of Alzheimer's disease on an individual and the value of the quilt to memorialize and recall a person's life, a loved one's life. So this quilt was actually made by Linda Hoff to honor her grandmother, but also she donated it to the Alzheimer art quilt initiative, which I can, tell you about in a second, um, which was to be sold at an auction to, to raise funds for research on the disease. But here's Linda's story. In 1999, Grandpa died. Then Grandma was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. The woman who sits in the nursing home today has no memories of friends or family or the special things that she and her husband did, especially for this time in her life. Nevelyn was once lively and vibrant. In the end, only a ghost of her former self remains. There are 868 small squares in the border. They speak of so many things in my grandmother's life, the fabric that she worked with to make clothes and quilts, her attention to small details, her desire that things be done the right way, and her love of color. They also symbolize all of her memories, funny stories, sad times, the trip she took, and the things she has done all the little pieces of her life are now lost to her forever. So this is one artist's um, experience of a disease, you know, as it impacted the life of a loved one, her grandmother. And, 
in this quilt, you can see her grandmother, Nevelyn, is uh, photo screened on the fabric in vibrant, full um, four colors um, in the first of nine blocks. But then gradually in each block, she, the artist has faded the fabric so that by the ninth block, you see just a faint um, outline of her grandmother. So that's a way of both visualizing illness, but it's also, you know, the story around it with all of the little colorful fabrics that represent um, so much about her grandmother's life. Right. So that's on page 94 and 95, that, that, that mm-hmm. quilt and the, and the mm-hmm. quote about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you just mentioned yeah, something there. there, there you... I'm, I'm... Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I just, I, you know, this is another quilt that I love, and Claire has used this in teaching, and she shows an image of this quilt. It's called My Friend is Bipolar, and it's by a Michigan artist named Lori Cisse. And um, on one side of the quilt panel, and this is not a quilt intended for a bed, it's a quilt uh, intended as wall art. Um, she has a picture of a woman who is obviously stressed. It's a portrait, facial portrait of a woman who's very stressed looking, her face is all tight. And then the other side of the quilt, um, it's a very happy person, eyes brightly open and smiling. And uh, Claire, when she teaches, she says, can you guess what disease is being depicted here? And often people do guess it. It's it's a bipolar, yeah, woman. Mm. So, so yeah, and that's on page eighty eight. I'm not sure that I would have guessed that actually. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm. I don't think enough in in those kinds of terms. Um, mm-hmm. What else have we got in this chapter? There's so many lovely ones. It's difficult to know where to. to I stop. it it is it is. Um, yeah, well, here's another one. It's uh, on page 78. It's called The Beat Goes On by Ricky Timms. Ricky Timms is a well-known male um, mm-hmm. uh, artist, and he himself, at age 44, uh, he's a musician and a professional quilt artist. He had triple heart bypass surgery, and yet within days of his surgery, he needed to be active again and to sew. So he created this design, which is a vibrant heart with, uh, made of all kinds of little pieces of, of hand-dyed uh, colorful fabric. Um, and the title was drawn from the song made famous by Sonny and Cher, uh, uh, and the beat goes on. And so for him, Ricky Timms, it was a symbol to commemorate his own health event. Right, right. And it's another really striking looking one with huge, great heart and mm-hmm. these amazing, it's actually an incredible piece of work. The reproduction's gorgeous. Um, yes, they did it just, uh, Indiana University Press just did a beautiful, beautiful job on this. Yeah, well, and, and what we tried to do was select a, a, a variety. We had so much to choose from, mm. but we tried to uh, cover a range of of health conditions. Um, we tried to cover a range of stylistic approaches uh, to this 
um, art, this, mm-hmm. this art realm. And so we, um, that's the, how the selection was made. Right. And of course, if there were just compelling stories, we had to have those stories right. in there. So that's interesting because, you know, you turn from uh, Ricky Tim's very colorful, big swirling hearts uh, mm-hmm. um, quilt to the next page where it's it's pretty monochrome. Um, and it's, a, it's called Beyond yes. the Obvious Roses for Sandy series by Sandra yeah. Brandjord. Brandjord. Yes. I'm sorry, what page was it on? It's, this is the next page, so it's 80 and 81. Oh, sorry, I was flipping ahead. Um, oh, it's, yes, and this is the one that uh, was made by a woman who obviously was grieving over the death of her son. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, a band of, of again, photo-screened images onto fabric of her face contorted in grief is lined up on one part of the quilt. And there's no yeah. mistaking that is a face in grief. Yes, it is. Yeah. And it's, um, it's got this black background and then these, um, the 40 washers representing uh, the years of her son's life. He died when he was uh, 40. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. So do you want to look at any more before yeah. we move on? To the so, next and then I think, that, you know, that, Yeah. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. We've got a slight time lag between us, so we're not in the same room, which is why this is happening. Sorry to the listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so, no, that's fine. Um, we'll make do. So, <laughs> the, so the public and collective quilt making, that chapter. This is where it sort of made um, me, it made sense for me to be the lead person again in writing this because um, the public and collective quilt making for health and well-being ties into so many community-based um, traditions of quilting. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was fun to be able to look at um, fundraising quilts, um, i.e. quilts that were made to raise funds for certain kinds of um, health issues. And, and back to the, uh, the, uh, the Alzheimer's Art Quilty Initiative, Ami Sims in Flint, Michigan's mother had Alzheimer's. Ami herself was a professional quilter. So she started this Alzheimer's quilt initiative, art quilt initiative, and solicited donations of, of quilts like Nevelin and auctioned them off. And then she had an online auction of quilts, blocks, small quilts that would fit into just a, a, a mailer that could go through the mail. And over 10, I think it was just close to 10 or slightly over 10 year period, Ami Sims raised a million dollars in that fundraising mode that she then uh, created a little grant program so that bench scientists could apply for money. People who were, who were investigating um, aspects of science that might lead to some kind of cure for Alzheimer's or better understanding of Alzheimer's. So here was 
quilt making, quilt making raised a million dollars. That's and amazing. Hospitals across the country, medical organizations often employ um, uh, fundraising efforts that include getting donated quilts, then reselling them in, in gift shops or auctioning them off. And so again, this is for me, uh, was, it was just such a thing of awe to know that, oh my goodness, look at all these organizations across the country that are using this material culture form in very community-based activities to, to advance health um, knowledge, to advocate for patient um, care, for um, patient advocacy. It, it's just quite amazing. So tell us about some of the quilts that you came across in this section that are uh, that really stick out for you. Well, I, I, I gosh, it's so hard to to choose. But I, maybe right? I'll just say that one of the things that um, I think were occasionally were images or aspects of this that were surprising. Um, for instance, we came across a picture of a annual uh, warehouse um, uh, um, uh, bundled up uh, quilts uh, ready for shipping overseas. It's a Lutheran World Relief warehouse. They do this annually. It's thousands of quilts. The, the, the stacks of bundled up quilts tower over the people. And all of this goes into a shipping container and all of them are donated and all of them provide warmth and comfort to people around the world. So just seeing visually that quilt and seeing those stacks of, I mean, seeing this photograph and seeing these stacks of quilts with three people from the Lutheran world relief warehouses is, is mind boggling. And yeah, this is one organization. Yeah. It's just one organization. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, one two seven. If anybody's got the book and, and wants to take a look at that, and then there's another. Uh, there's the AIDS memorial quilt. Um, well, later. certainly, certainly that had always been in you know filed in my little health and, and uh, quilt file. Is yeah. is it is the single largest uh, uh, quilt related to arts and and um, uh, health and well-being. And it's, of course, patient advocacy. I mean, you don't put it on the National Mall unless you're trying to draw attention to AIDS, you know, right. and lobby. When, when was this all laid out? When was it all put, laid well, out? Well, you know, I, I'm not – it's been laid out two or three times. Okay. I think once in its entirety – well, in its entirety at that time, but it is too large now to lay out um, mm-hmm. on them all. But it was, uh, I think almost all of it was laid out in sequences at the 2012 um, Smithsonian Folklife Festival. Okay. okay. And, it, mm-hmm. and then, uh, yeah, you know, and another thing is um, there are people who uh, are involved in making digital quilts. So, you know, using the whole tradition of quilting, uh, individuals working um, on behalf of advocacy or education from 
all kinds of different sectors of the health field are in, especially those who work with individuals who have lost a person or lost, you know, a part of their body are doing digital memorial quilts. So people make a a digital block with some information about a a donor, like an eye donor and send it to the eye donor um, education site and they post it up. And pretty soon you have a number of blocks that have been donated, created and donated. And um, these organizations create online digital quilts. And that, that to me is fascinating and I think warrants a lot more investigation. One uh, one I, story I liked from this chapter in particular was this picture of a a, a young boy with his father over looking over oh, him whilst he's yes. working at the sewing machine. This yeah. is on page one hundred and twenty five. Well, well, I think you, I think you like it because it's connected to England. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's so true the, too. So tell yeah, us about this. So one. The, it's so the, the the little the the young boy. Um, uh, is making quilts for premature babies and uh, at Guy's Hospital, babies who are at Guy's Hospital in London, England, where he himself was a premature baby when he was born. And so while he was in neonatal unit himself, his parents stayed next door in one of those Ronald McDonald houses where they were presented with a baby quilt made by uh, a woman who was a midwife and social worker. And this young man, uh, his name is Jackson Cloyd. His mother died of cancer and her son, Jackson knew that the quilt was one of his mother's treasures and that by making quilts for other babies, he would honor her memory. Isn't that oh, lovely? I love that. Yes. And you see this picture mm-hmm. of him. He's look, working very hard at the sewing machine. His, his father is standing proudly looking yeah, at his, right, his, fa- his father with his Morehouse College, you know, T-shirt uh, right. offered him. Yes. It was. <laughs> so, in yeah, the last so, and I think, chapter, you know, on page. Oh, I'm sorry. No, mm-hmm. I interrupted you again because this time lag. You go oh, ahead. No, I know. I, I, no, I was just going to say that. Um, the, yeah. On page 141 and 145, 141, 142, 143, no, 143, you'll see, first of all, um, these are all military connected. And the fact that um, there are quilt groups or there are making them for people who are serving in the military right now. There are um, organizations that are making quilts for the comfort of the families who are left behind because their family members are serving in the military. And this one, one um, picture on page 141 is called um, the Camel Quilts Project. One of the members of that platoon, I guess, that's shown uh, on this page, all in their camouflage fatigues. They're all holding quilts that are made out of camouflage material. One (laughs) of them received such a quilt from, I think, their mother, and then everyone wanted them. And they can march (laughs) along, you know, in the desert with that 
you know, camouflage quilt on, you know, rolled up in a bundle on their back and, you know, it'll blend in as opposed to being given another bright, you know, quilt of fabrics. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, and then they, this, there's a whole quilts of valor project where uh, veterans of wars are presented with quilts in ceremonies across the country. And this is one of those tagged Google searches that we kept seeing over and over again. And um, mostly men uh, who are gifted with these quilts, but they are veterans often who think nobody, nobody's paid any attention to what I did in terms of service for my country. And there are so many stories associated with how deeply meaningful getting this quilt from somebody they don't know, but somebody acknowledging their service to the country has become. And then on page 145, it's sort of restorative justice. There's a growing number of quilts, quilt-making activities, organized activities in prisons. And you, th- this photograph shows four men in prison garb, sh- holding up two of their quilts that they've made in prison and they make quilts uh, that are then given away to um, uh, kids with cancer, kids in the hospital, local hospitals, uh, community seniors centers that hospice homes. And so these prisoners are being able to you know, have a sense of agency and worth while uh, time spent in this creative activity, and they know that they're making a difference on that in the outside world. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that brings us to the last um, chapter, which is about quilts and healing environments and mm-hmm. clinical care situations. Yes, and I think. Uh, Again, Claire was the lead person here because she works in uh, College of, of um, Medicine. But I, th- I think we're just um, so amazed at the number of quilts that humanize clinical settings. So when they're mm-hmm. shown hung on walls in clinics, in hospitals, it, it suddenly tra- transforms the environment to be more comforting warmer. Um, it, it is, um, one, a situation, an environment that is welcoming rather than repellent. And it's tremendously important to take these sterile environments and make them, um, more humane for the patients and also for the caregivers and the loved ones who come and tend to the, um, their, their loved ones. And I think one of the, the quilts that's in there that I just is so poignant is one that's on a bed uh, in a pediatric ward, a pediatric examination room where victims, underage victims of sexual abuse are brought in. And the, 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 this, this is in Illinois. And this members of uh, Quilters Guild make quilts now to cover that bed, that examination bed. And they also make a little teddy bear and they make a decorative pillow. And so each child, after being a victim, 
who has to come in and undergo uh, an examination can see that as a friendlier environment, and then they can take that quilt home and the teddy bear and the pillow. Oh, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, at the end of this, um, creating this book, did you come to any, is it, do you know why quilts? Yeah, well, you know, there are some of the people whose stories we gathered actually speak to that. Um, they, They say it's the handmade quality of it. It's the fact that when a quilt is given to another person, that person knows that um, somebody who cares invested time and energy and creativity in it. It's not like giving a store-bought blanket. You can buy a blanket and provide warmth for a person, but by making something that's handmade, you are conveying that there is an actual person who seriously cares about your condition. And in receiving quilts, we read so often that people said it was like giving a hug, a physical hug. They, you know, they take the quilt and if it's a bed size quilt, if it's intended for a bed, because some of the things I've been talking about were always intended as wall hangings. But if it was intended for a bed or a lap cover, they just immediately take that and wrap it around themselves. And they, they take comfort in that. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Definitely. And, and I, can I share, do we have enough time to share Absolutely. a personal story? Okay. Yes, so I, I wrote about it in the, in, in um, the preface to the book. And that is our interest in quilts in health and well-being sort of galvanized in two moments of time. One is when my sister and I were uh, visiting my mom who had had a hip replacement and she was in the hospital. And so we were just spending hours in the day while she was recovering. And, and so we were playing by that time, little games with hospital personnel, anybody who came in the room, you know, we would challenge them, you know, tell us a, tell us a, disease or an illness you think cannot be connected to quilts and then they'd leave we'd sit there we'd be googling and and sharing funny stories about what we were finding and always finding things even as Clara said you know somebody came in and said well I you, you, certainly there's nothing about irritable bowel syndrome and quilts and next time that person comes in we're saying oh no there are there's like this huge you know international program for irritable bowel syndrome victims who you know express their feelings about their living with this condition yeah and put in patches and then the completed quilt is used in education so that was one time the second time though is when i myself uh, uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer and so i I uh, went in and had um, my, you know, the first clinic I went into, there was a quilt of bras on the wall, quilted bras. It was art quilt. Uh, uh, when I, I was in the hospital, um, I, in the hallway, there were quilts. And then when I started with chemotherapy, I was sitting in the drip chair and hooked up to the machine and, the nurse comes up in front of me and says, oh, 
I see you're a new patient and you can pick one of these. And she had two shopping bags in her hand. I said, well, what is it? She said, well, just choose one and open it. Well, it was this beautiful lap quilt. And I hadn't shed a tear about my condition until that moment. And I went, oh my God, do you know what my research is? And um, it turns out that a woman uh, in the Lansing, Michigan area, Bobby Slider is her name. She had been accompanying a good friend into that clinic and knew it was physically cold, um, visually cold, and she was a quilter, so she made a quilt for her friend. And then she's endeavored to make a quilt for every new patient that comes into that clinic. And so to me, it was bringing it immediately personally home. And... um, it's, it it and there is made a us more in, dedicated. Underneath yes, 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 yes. Yes, and and you obviously sent this lady a donation. That she's written this note saying, "Dear yes. Marsha, there are no words to express my thanks to you for your contribution to my passion." I know, and it was her gift to me. Yes, so yeah. No, that's a really very touching story. I wasn't sure whether I should ask you about it, but yes. Um, well, I, and then let me just share one more story, and it was personal because my mother who had played a role and she herself is a scholar in 2012 the same year I had breast cancer my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and within two weeks she was transferred to a hospital hospice room and there as I've written in the afterword of this book surrounded by her husband children including myself and close family she was covered in two family quilts one that was made by her maternal grandmother as a present for her wedding, and the other pieced by her great-grandmother, quilted by her grandmother, and bound by her mother. And in her final hours of life, these precious textiles we feel must surely and silently have given her both physical warmth and spiritual comfort. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a beautiful way to end uh, our interview. Um, so thank you so much. We're running out of time. Is there something you'd like to tell us that you're working on now um, before we leave you? Or, um... Well, I'm several small projects on quilts, and Claire and I have just uh, finished a chapter for a book by a folklore colleague of essays um, about certain aspects of expressive culture and and aging. And in our book, we, uh, in this book, Quilts and Health, we were, again, we're surprised at how many people, men and women who were of the older, old age, like category that's of, of the, one of the fastest growing populations in this country and in a number of other countries, 80 years older, um, so we kept coming across stories of people who are in their 80s, 90s, 100s, who were making not just one quilt a year, but hundreds of them. And so, you know, thinking about aging and um, that sense of agency and, and, and having um, personal worth and having validity um, from your, you know, your community, however you define it, um, that's what these quilters are doing. And so what book is this chapter going to appear in? Well, I th- it's John Kay is, it's, he is the editor, and um, I failed to 
okay. have the title in my head at the moment, but it should be well, out shortly. Listeners should uh, not watch this space, but listen to this space because it may be featured in the future. <laughs> yes, yes, I would hope so because it's got, he's got such a beautiful range of how elderly have expressive lives. Right. Great. Um, well, thank you so much, Marsha McDowell, for taking part in this new Books oh, in you. Folklore podcast. Um, thank you. And this podcast is just one of hundreds available on the New Books Network. I am minded to uh, tell our listeners. So, yes, Marsha, thank you and have a lovely rest of day. Oh, thank you so much, Rachel.